0: Let's get to our service today. Uh, We're at part two, liberated to love. We're in Philemon, Philemon verses 12 to 16 today. And the word of God reads, let's get to it. The word of God reads this. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man as a, and as a brother in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this whole journey that you're taking us Through the book of Philemon, it's not just the letter, but it is your message to us and your heart to us, for you want to see us really grow in this aspect of love, not only for you, but for each other. So God, do that within our church. And today, speak to us in ways that would elevate our hearts and our thinking and our desires to love you with all that we have. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as I begin this sermon today, I just want to tell you that, uh, you know, the first 10 minutes of this sermon is going to be a little bit intense. And so I'm, I'm going to ask you to follow closely with me to track along closely. I'm not going to go that fast, but my thinking moves a little bit fast. But don't worry, my conclusions are clear. They're simple. But I want to take you on this journey because I believe that the honesty and the truth that comes out of this journey will help you love god much better with your life i hope it does so is that cool all right so here we go you know as i thought about these messages these past few weeks you know about loving god and loving others this greatest commandment it genuinely began to bother me to the point where i was losing sleep if you notice i have like bags underneath my eyes i'm like losing sleep over these commandments and here's the reason why you know have you ever asked yourself this is the question that's been plaguing me If the greatest commandment given by God to me personally, if the greatest commandment given by God to me personally is to love him with all that I have, then am I making that my greatest priority? And I was just plagued by that because I don't think the answer was yes. And I thought about it even more deeply this week because I knew that I was going to speak on it. But then more and more questions start to flood, you know, my heart and my mind. You know, what does it mean to love? What's that word love? What, is it, what does it look like? Is it devotion? Is it commitment? Is it affection? Is it worship? What does it look like to love God with all that you have? What does it even mean to love God with all your heart? What does that look like? Or all your mind, all your soul. What's a soul? And with all your strength. So many questions. And I spent so many like, minutes, hours. I don't know what it is thinking about all these answers. And I came to so many conclusions. So many answers are all out there. And there are so many answers. But at the end of the day, I concluded this. That no matter what, since there are so many facets to loving God with all that you have, the one thing that it definitely takes to do it is intentionality. You know, you can't just live each day not thinking about loving God with all that you have. You can't. You know, you can't live each day not focused upon that because you'll never do it. You'll never become it. Because it does take commitment. It does take your affections. It does take action. Love is a, love is a verb, right? It does take your devotion. It does take sacrifice and everything that comes along with love. All those things. That's the only way. And so, you know, as we understand that, it takes that intentionality. All of a sudden, it starts to become a little bit clear what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being. Um, but the question that I then started to ask myself is, why God? Why is this like the greatest commandment for us? You know, and obviously it's probably because it's what's most important to God. And theologians might even answer, well, all of scripture can be summed up in those two commands, which Jesus said. And of course it does. But why? Why is this his greatest commandment for us? And as I thought about it, my puny brain thought about this a lot. And I started looking, searching the scriptures And I came to this conclusion, when our, or when everything within our lives is dedicated towards his pleasure and his glory, which is what we were created for and saved for, you know, when we're loving him with all that we have, that's not only what gives him true pleasure and glory, which is the goal of all creation, but that's when we begin to understand and affirm That loving him and loving others is really what we were truly created for and saved for. I know it's a little bit circular, but, you know, it's only when everything within our lives is directed towards his pleasure and glory that we really begin to understand him and affirm and just and receive him and affirm that all that he is is good. And his will, especially to love God and love others within our lives, is what we were created for. And, for. and it's only when we operate like this that we not only understand his design for us in the world, but we begin to revel in him. You know, revel is not just enjoying, but it's like celebrating like crazy in who he is, which is what God created us for uh romans 12 1 to 2 i believe says this really really clearly and this is a verse that we all had a devotional on this week isn't it don't you remember i think it was wednesday romans 12 verses 1 to 2 and and the thing is as i was meditating on this verse this week i i felt like it totally unlocked this greatest commandment for me even more so let's read this together and tell me and you tell me you know what it's saying romans 12 1 to 2 it says this therefore i urge you brothers and sisters You know, to give you context of this particular verse, Paul just finished sharing the gospel and all that Christ has done for us upon the cross. And so his conclusion is this, in light of all that Christ has done, in light of his grace, in view of his mercy, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, surrender yourself completely to him so that you can be like him in all that you are. And then what does verse 2 says will begin to happen the moment we surrender? Verse 2 says that God will begin to transform us by the renewing of our minds. But the question is, what is he renewing us towards? And the end of verse 2 says, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's all this saying? It's saying that when we do that, We'll know God so well and so intimately that we'll be able to see all things, whether it's our lives or the things that happen within this world through his lens and not ours. And then when that happens, we'll not only see that he is good, but that every challenge or every hardship or every suffering and every trial that he allows to happen within our lives and in this world is pleasing and perfecting in us. Do you guys get that? Right? It's a little bit complex, right? But here we go. Don't worry. I'll conclude it all. You know, and you know what that tells me? It tells me if that's true, then it tells me that the difficulty in loving, and the reason why we have so much trouble loving God and loving others, the difficulty is us. We are the bottleneck. You know, we fail to love and we fail to truly know God in our lives because we choose to be who we want to be. And not who God created us to be or saved us to be. And the real issue then is that we, a lot of times we don't want to be who God wants us to be, which is love, right? We don't want to really love. And that's why for so many in the church, they might know the Bible. They might know the Bible stories. They might know the verses, but they may not really know God. They might know church and how it functions. People are professional churchgoers, you know? People And people might know Christianity. We might be professional Christians out there, but they don't really know God. And here's the thing. The longer we approach and operate our lives and our situations and all of our relationships in this non-redeemed worldly mindset and philosophy, then we'll never truly see that God is good. And that his will really is good and perfect and pleasing in every way. Whether we're going through times of tragedy or we're going through times of triumph, it doesn't matter. Why? Because we'll never be able to see this world or our lives from the observation deck of his throne room. And we need that. Every Christian needs that. And I think, you know, the people that don't get to see that, that don't really realize that that's what it's all about. I think these are the people that end up. To some extent, giving up in Christianity, you know? And maybe some of you are thinking like that right now. I don't know. But the answer is that we need to be transformed. Our mindset, our thinking, our philosophies, and our approach to life needs to be renewed, just like these verses say. But how do we do that? Well, Romans 12 says it gives us the answer. It says, by offering our bodies. As a living sacrifice, right? And can't faith, isn't that what faith in Christ really is? Offering ourselves to God completely? You know, do you know what a sacrifice is? It's literally saying that our old self, with the old way of thinking, operated, we're going to put that on the altar, burn that up. That thing is gone forever. Dying to that is our proper worship. Putting that on the altar so it could be gone completely is our proper worship. Why? So that we can now be filled with and reprogrammed by God himself. To become what? Like God, who is love. We're landing the plane now. All to say that the only way that we're going to be able to fulfill the greatest commandment to love others and to love God in our lives is by conscientiously and comprehensively fighting each and every single day to stay fully sacrificed to god or surrendered to god each and every single day do you see that you know we must intentionally just to go back to the original point we must intentionally offer ourselves to god each and every single day and only then will we be enabled enabled to love god with all that we have do you guys get that yes i know you're thinking eddie that's a long introduction you know does this have anything to do with philemon this is just like last week, and the answer is yes, it does. This is what Philemon is all about in today's passage, okay? Because in our in our passage today, Paul is writing this part of Philemon to say this to Philemon. He's saying, hey, um, Philemon, I want you to love Onesimus. I really want you to forgive him. I want you to love him. I want you to embrace him as our brother. But the only way that you're going to love somebody that's hurt you that much is if you're truly in love with God yourself. And if you're fully sacrificed to God, I can't force you to love God. I don't want to force you to love God. I don't want to force you to do what's right. Just like I can't really force you to love Onesimus. That's something that you got to choose to do. You know, and that's a heart issue. That's your faith issue. That's something that only you and God can work out. And I hope you do. Because if you do, it will not only change you and transform your interactions with God, but it's going to change the church, right? And so that's the heart of our letter today. So once again, we're talking about love. Last week, we we touched upon how Christ's love liberates us to love others freely. And today we're going to talk about how Christ's love liberates us to love God willingly. That's the point. Christ's love liberates us to love God willingly. We were liberated to love. And our passage says two things about loving god willingly and here's the first thing that it says it says it's this god wants us to want him god wants us to want him i'm going to read the whole passage once again and i I want you to pay attention to all the endearing language that takes place here okay the affectionate language it says i am sending him who is my very heart back to you i would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while i'm in chains for the gospel but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. How many times in this whole passage does Paul use affectionate language? He's my heart, my very heart, my son, my dear brother. I mean, that's really affectionate and it's very intentional. And the reason why is because he's reminding Philemon that all that we do for God is to be out of love. Our obedience to God must be out of a heart that's thankful, a heart that's passionate about his glory, a heart that wants him to be pleased and a heart that's in love with him because he's so in love with God us you know i always tell people that i mentor or people that i disciple at the moment you start using words like i should i should do that or i ought to do that that's when you kind of know that you're in trouble that's like a red flag you know people always say oh yeah i should do my quiet time i ought to be more honest but you know what we're really saying when we say stuff like that is this we're saying i know that it's good and i know that god would want me to do my quiet time but i just want to do something else a little bit more isn't that right isn't that what we say i want to do my quiet time but i'd rather watch the next episode of squid game or whatever it is you know we want to do something else more than what we should be doing you know i know i ought to be honest but if i just tell a little bit lie i can get what i want you know a little bit more from that you know whatever it is and that's a red flag because what it's really telling us is that Jesus is really not our greatest passion or our love. He's not who we trust or who we want to please. It's it's telling us that the greatest commandment really isn't our greatest priority. And so the question that we're left with, with that realization is this, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do when those red flags go up? And the great thing about God is that he's never going to force us. He's never going to make us love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He'll never coerce us to do that. Why? Because that is not love. You are liberated so that you could have this freedom to choose to make him number one, to want him or not. You know, I know some of us who struggle within our walk with God, we're always like, man, I wish God would just force me. You know, I wish God would just make me love him with all my heart. Christianity would be so much easier Other people, you know, sitting out there, you guys might be saying, Eddie, I have people in my life that force me to love God or that make me love God. Isn't that God speaking through them? And if any of those are you in any way, I want you to think about this. If God forced us to love him in any way, is that real love? I don't think so. That's actually slavery. Slaves are made to do things. Slaves are forced to do things. We weren't liberated to become enslaved. We were liberated to want God and to want to be like God and to want to serve God. And God wants his children to want him, not to force themselves to try to make him happy or whatever. You know, he just wants us to want him. Isn't that what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7? Let's look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and just listen to his words to us. It says this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. What is it saying? He's saying willingness is what God wants. Wanting to give God yourself is what God wants in your love and in your worship. Forced obedience, forced obedience is not love. Nor is it worship. Forcing obedience upon others is not love either. Have you guys ever experienced that? Of course we have, especially if you're Asian. No matter you know, no matter what your Korean older mentor might say, forcing obedience upon others is not love either. You can force people to, to do a lot of godly things. And you can, especially you can force a lot of people in the church to do a lot of godly things and accomplish a lot of godly things in the name of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that his name or his pleasure is anywhere near it. Do you guys get that? God loves cheerful worshipers. And this should be the heart of all of our discipleship, training others to want God. Those are people who want God more than anything else. And when they see that their heart is not there, which it is a lot of times because we're human, we fight for it. Why? Because he means so much to us. And that's all God wants. God wants to be our greatest treasure in our lives. And that's why we have the greatest commandment. See, I think so many Christians these days, they totally misunderstand the intention behind the greatest commandment. A lot of us, we hear this commandment to love God with all of our hearts, soul, mind, and being and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And you know what we do? We go straight to guilt. Is that you? I know that's been me for so long. You know, we hear that greatest commandment and we're like, oh man, I'm so bad because I don't love God like that. I don't love God enough. And so we repent, right? Do you guys do that? I do that. And so in essence, what we're doing is we're treating his command to love him as like this standard that we're supposed to live up to. But Eddie, isn't that true? Isn't that what it is? Kinda. It is kinda. You know, to love God with all that we have is the standard, but it is not a condemning standard, right? It is not a standard that's telling us, hey... The standard is perfection, guys. Why are you not there? No, that's what an Asian parent would say. And that's why we read those verses like that. But that's not God. Why? Because it's not a condemning standard, but it's a liberating standard. It's a liberating standard that says to us, there is so much more of me that you can have. There is so much more of me that you could be enjoying if you just want to. You guys get that? That's the greatest commandment. In our passage today, Paul wants Philemon to want God and to want to be like God and to want to be a living sacrifice. And he knows he knows that if he forced Philemon to forgive Onesimus and to do what's right in God's eyes, if he forced him to do that, then he would be sabotaging that internal struggle that we all go through, that spiritual process that's going to lead Philemon to want God more. We need that. That is so essential. That struggle is so essential. And the thing is, God wants the same for each one of us. You know, the Christian life truly is a relationship. It is. We were saved to have this relationship with God, this deep, intimate, growing relationship with God. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it's a real struggle, but that's good. All that stuff is good. But a lot of times we hijack that relationship. Every single time we treat faith like religion, which is like this life according to these standards and rules about us. And don't we do that a lot? We shortchange ourselves. Oh, hey, I did my quiet time today, so I feel good about myself. I prayed my prayers. I gave my offering. I attended my CG. I went to service today. I didn't swear. I didn't sin like crazy today that badly today. And that's how we think. But the thing is, that's not how God, that's not why God saved you. You know, don't do stuff like that. God doesn't even think like that. Don't ever shortchange your relationship with God or your worship. Or those internal spiritual struggles that God wants you to have with him. Don't ever shortchange those things for self-focused religious victories. Instead, just spend quality time with God for God. You know, do your quiet time. Don't do your quiet time just so that you can feel good about yourself that you did it, but do it to meet God. Don't pray so that you can feel good about yourself, that you prayed for others, that you prayed for your concerns, or you did your spiritual work, but pray so that you could be overwhelmed by Him. You know, Christ didn't primarily save us just so that we wouldn't go to hell, but he saved us so that we could have him and to love him and to want him and to want to be like him with every single day of our lives. Do you guys see that? By saving us, he wants our greatest desire and treasure to be him. That's it. That's how simple it is. And that's why it's the greatest commandment. My guess is that you're starting to get it, which is absolutely awesome. I hope that you are. But maybe you're sitting there and you realize, hey, Eddie, I totally get it, but I think my heart needs a little jump start here. I want that, but I'm not sure where to go, what to do, but I want it. How do I get back on track? And the answer once again is found in Romans 12:1. We don't have to go there, but it says, the phrase says, "In view of God's mercy, do all of these things." And And what that verse is telling us is that loving God only makes sense in view of God's mercy. Once your heart is refreshed, by this truth that you are so generously, yet so undeservedly loved by God, that's when you'll want him more. And so if your heart needs a jumpstart, you know, return to God's mercy, return to his gospel of grace, return to the gospel, present the gospel to yourself like I tell you all the time to do over and over and over again until Christ's love really does possess you God commands us to love because love really is the key to everything in the Christian life. And because love can't be forced, we as believers must make sure that our hearts are possessed and sacrificed to God every day so that he could be our greatest treasure. Do you guys see that? Only then can we, I think, really joyfully choose to love him and want him every single day. God wants us to want him. Our second point is that God wants to make us like Christ. In verses 15 and 16, we don't have to go there, but Paul tells five this. He says, perhaps, and that's the key word. perhaps Onesimus running away and stealing from you was all under God's sovereignty. You know, before Onesimus left, Philemon, all you had was this non-believing slave. But now, look at him. He's a brother in Christ, and he's a worker for your kingdom, and he's right by your side. How awesome is that? But if you read between the lines, this is what Paul's really saying. He's saying this, hey, Philemon, you know, in the world's eyes, what, you know, what was done to you was bad. You know, a slave ran away, man. You know, he stole from you. You're the victim here, Philemon. But perhaps, maybe in God's eyes, this was the plan all along. Yes, through this, Onesimus became a Christian, and that's awesome. But this crime that was committed against you, Philemon, perhaps that's God giving you and inviting you into this opportunity to become more like Christ. Perhaps the plan all along was for all this to happen so that you could be challenged to love the one that hurt you the most. Just like Jesus came to love his enemies. And when Philemon read that, I can't, I would have loved to have seen his reaction. What? Are, that, what are you saying that was God's plan, Paul? You know, God allowed all that bad stuff to happen to me at all my cost, so that I could become like Jesus. That's God's plan. Yes. And that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? But it's true. That's how God works sometimes in our lives. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph in Genesis, how he got sold off to his brothers into slavery? But when he meets them again many years later, he says what in Genesis 50, in Genesis fifty twenty, What does he say later on? He says this. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I'm sorry I don't have that verse for you. But he said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The point being, God has the power to use evil done to us for his divine purposes. And many times he allows difficulties and tragedies and evil to happen within our lives, so that we can step up into who he's calling us to be, which is a living example of love to others. You know, this week I was listening to a testimony of a pastor in America, and he was saying that at the peak of his church growing, and there was so much to do, and you know, he was leading a church of thousands, God put upon his heart his earthly father, and um, just to know their relationship, like when when this pastor was a young teenager, his father cheated on his mother, and it broke the it broke the whole family apart. And even after coming to Christ, this pastor realized that as an adult, he still hates his father for doing that. And but this pastor obviously loves God, so he called his father and began this really difficult journey to learn how to love his father like Christ does. They eventually reconcile. And if we even you know move fast forward even more, later on his father even passes. But this pastor concludes this testimony in this way, and I'm just going to paraphrase what he kind of said. And he kind of said something like this. He said, God led me back to my father so that I could learn what God's love really looks like and what God's love really is all about. God, And then he said this. He said, God used the sin of my father and the pain that it caused me to open the doors of my heart, not only to lead me deeper into his love for me, God's love for me, but to discover how pain or how the pain that God allowed me to experience can now be used to love others more genuinely like God does. Isn't that mind-blowing? God used, what he's saying is God used the evil in his life not only to deepen his understanding of God, but through that evil, he discovered how God wants to use him to love others who have gone through similar pains and hurts. Pain expanded his love capacity. And that's what God loves to do within our lives. So when you encounter like difficult times, challenging times, hardships, pain, like pains and evil, perhaps those might be invitations from God inviting you deeper into his love so that you can now be transformed to love others more genuinely and freely as well. And when you do, you know what happens? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you guys see that? You know, God will never force us to love him. Praise God for that. Love will always be an invitation from God. To love him with all that we have is the greatest commandment, yes. But if you really understand him, it really is the greatest invitation to want him and to want to become like him. God saved us so that Jesus could be our greatest pleasure. To love him with all of our heart is the greatest invitation into that pleasure. And I pray that you will always choose to love God, not because it's the right thing to do or because it's the better thing to do or because it's the more spiritual thing to do, but simply because you want God because that's what he wants from us. Let's be a people that want God and who want to love him with all that we have. Let's pray. You know, what's great about following God Is that he's never going to force you to love him ever. But every day is a challenge then, isn't it? How much do I really want him? And I think every disciple wrestles with that daily. And it's a good struggle. And I want to invite you into that struggle once again. Because when we do choose God, he's going to change us. He's going to transform us. And he's going to change our church. And he's going to enable you not only to receive his love even more deeply, but to also love him more deeply and to love others like he does. But just like Paul says to Philemon, that's something that you and God need to work out together. So why don't we at this time spend some time in prayer. He's inviting you into a deeper love with him. But the question on the table is, is he who you really want? Let's be disciples who truly want God more than anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love that never changes. For your love for us that is absolutely lavished upon us all the time. We thank you, God, that you always see see us through the blood of Christ. It's us who always condemn ourselves. It's us who always feel guilty all the time. It's us who always, you know, shun away from you. And God, we ask that you forgive us for doing that. But Lord, teach us how to love you. Teach us how to be fully yours. Teach us to want you with all that we have. And so, but God, we need your help with that. We just need to be able to see you so clearly so that we would want you. Only you can open up our hearts to do that. Father, help us to be a people that truly just love you and want you. And so God, help us with the power of your spirit to do that. Lord, make us a people that just are in love with you. And that constantly want to be used by you to make you greater and to see your love alive in the people around us as well. And so, God, we need you to do that. We thank you, Father, that your love for us never changes, that your mercies are new every single morning. Father, make us a people that just want you more than anything else. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's end our service with the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be generous to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen.